How are you? I just want some more of that worship. I'm, I'm going to try to be as fast as I can so I can do that again. That was awesome. Um, we are in the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We have been uh, preaching through the book of Acts now. I think we're at like 35 or 40 or something like that sermons. Um, and today uh, we're looking at the second missionary journey of Paul. So he's beginning the second missionary journey. So in, in the video you saw uh, where <coughs> we're doing drone shots of, of, <coughs> of Rock Hill because in this particular section of Acts, really from uh, chapter 13 on, there's a turn in the book of Acts where they've been sharing the gospel in Jerusalem and then they've widened it out a little bit to Judea and Samaria and now they're taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so as we're seeing them and their minds take the gospel to what would be the ends of their earth, we're called to do the same thing. And so as we look at the second missionary journey of, of Acts, I'm sorry, of Paul in the book of Acts starting at chapter 16, uh, there are tons of ways that we can take what we see in the text and apply it to our lives. So um, I'm gonna pray. Uh, this is not like a... Uh, well, as the whole chapter 16 is really one sermon, and there's literally no way I can do it. So uh, we're just going to do the first 10 verses, and this is part one. And the next week we'll pick up with part two, and probably even a week after that, uh, because I tend to want to say a lot, even with just a few verses. So um, that's the way, it, it'll, it, like this is really one big sermon that's going to take a few weeks. So come back for part two and three. Uh, but I'm going to pray, and then we'll look at the first 10 verses, and then, <clears throat> then we'll... Uh, Look at what the Lord has for us in his word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that it is given to us um, because you love us, that you chose out of your grace to be a God that communicates and speaks. And so thank you for your word. I pray now as we look at it, Holy Spirit, you would come. You would come now. Uh, move me, guide me, lead me and as, a, as a teacher into all truth, and that everything I say will be from you, that all of us, Lord, as we hear, including myself, from the Holy Spirit, that we will, we will be receptive, that we will uh, we'll hear and receive all that we need, not just for instruction, but God, for our hearts to be set aflame because of the good news of Jesus. Help us realize that every one of us, every one of us needs to hear the gospel as much as we possibly can to set our heart right. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, this is uh, where Paul is going to plant the church in Philippi. Some of you may have heard of this letter to the Philippians that's in the book of, uh, in, in the New Testament, a few, a few books later, but there's a New Testament letter called Philippians, and that's where Paul, after he had planted this church, heard about some of the things that were going on. They had sent him a gift and he writes the letter to the Philippians, which he wrote sometime around AD 62. And so that puts the story that we're looking at in chapter 16, somewhere around AD 49. So um, this is, you know, 15 or so years after the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, Paul is uh, doing mission. And as he's going on this second missionary journey, um, he is... Around, it's around 80, 49, going to go into this particular city. It's not exactly how he planned, which we'll see in a second. But uh, he later writes a letter to them. Uh, this trip that he's on, this second missionary journey, is about a three-year trip. It's going to take from about 80, 49 till about AD 52. And as you're going into chapter 16, uh, really this entire, this is, this is church planting 
Philippi. This is how he plants a church in Philippi. So this sermon is really about church planning. Now, all of you might say, well, that's good. So that fits you, Fudd. And maybe one of the guys that feels called to church planning, the rest of us, how are we going to do that? So let me make sure that we understand that a sermon or a series of sermons on church planning are totally applicable to you right now, whether you're a a computer analyst, a a bricklayer, a mailman, a stay-at-home mom, or whatever. Here's why. Um, Number one, if you're part of this church, you're part of a church plant. So there's lots of things that you're going to be able to learn uh, from this particular text that you can apply and and, and see that are going on. Number two, um, you should be a part of a community. If you're a believer in Christ, especially if you come to Remedy, you're part of a community. And everything that we say about what a church plant should be doing, you're... Your community, your community group, your little body of believers that you're doing life with can take those things and apply them into your group's life and how you're living out the mission of God. And and not only that, you're a Christian that should be living out the Great Commission. And so even if you're not practicing it in a a group of of, of 12 to 15 in community, you are a Christian living out the Great Commission. And so as that's happening, you can take these things and apply them to your life. So uh, let's start at verse 16. If you'll remember, uh, just a few verses above... Paul and Barnabas, who did the first missionary journey, they had a disagreement. So Paul decides that he's going to choose Silas. Silas is kind of the replacement for Barnabas. You can see that in verse 40. It says, but Paul chose Silas, and they departed, having commended by the brothers, and they went out in the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, Paul's, Paul's goal or Paul's d- desire was... The, the missionary journey that I just went on on the first one, I just want to go kind of do that again. I want to go back up through those particular cities that I went in and, and started uh, planting churches and telling people about Jesus and seeing people get saved. I want to go back through that same missionary journey. And as I'm doing it, I want to strengthen those believers. Well, as he's doing that, the Lord's going to move him and direct him. And he's actually going to go into a whole new region, and thus begin what would be the second missionary journey. So, um, Uh, There's going to be a map. This is Church Planning Philippi, part one. So there's going to be a map because I know that not too too many of you are familiar with first century cities. And so I'll have a map up here. And as it's up there, it gives us a little bit better understanding. So let's go ahead and put it up. Let me go ahead and give you a big idea of what's going on. So in his first missionary journey, he started in Antioch. He, he went down to Cyprus, and he went up, and he went kind of to Antioch, Pisidia, Iconium, Derby. They kind of went back here. This is the region of Galatia, and they went back up here, and then they sailed back, and that was the first missionary journey. Now, he's going to go a different way this way, but you can see how, how he gets kind of sidetracked, and not really sidetracked, but right-tracked, because the Holy Spirit's going to take him in that direction. So, uh, verse 16, I'm sorry, chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came to Derby and to Lystra. This is where they tried to kill him. So whenever he went here before, they stoned him basically almost to death. Uh, they thought he was dead. And so he decides he's going to go back to those cities even again. I mean, this guy's amazing. It says, so Paul came to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way um, through the cities, they delivered to them for for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. If you hadn't been with us, basically back in Acts chapter 15, whenever Paul and in chapter 13 and 14, when Barnabas went through this region, they saw a lot of Galatians get, I'm sorry, a lot of Gentiles get saved. And when these Gentiles were getting saved, they had to decide... Can Gentiles be Christians or not? And if they do, do they have to be circumcised? Is, it a, is, this, is this allowed? Well, in Acts chapter 15 at the Council of Jerusalem, they decided 
they are allowed to be saved. They are allowed to be Christians. They don't have to be circumcised. And so that letter was written in, in chapter 15. And Paul thought, this is good news for all the Gentiles here who are like, I don't know if I want to be a Christian if I got to be circumcised. That doesn't sound like a, uh, a good day. So he's, he's taken that letter, which they decided down here in Jerusalem. He's taken that letter back up in there and saying, good news. You are legitimately a believer. You don't have to follow the Old Testament law. You're in. And they're like, woohoo! So he's going back through those regions and letting them know you're in. And this is, this is good. So that's what he's talking about in verse 4 when he's saying, they went on their way through the cities, delivering them the observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. That was the, in chapter 15, the decision they made. So verse 5, and so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and, and Galatia. So they're, they're going through this region, going up into here. And, uh, and it said, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. So when they came up to here, they attempted to go up here. And this is where it gets pretty interesting. But the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, to this particular city right here. And a, a vision appeared to Paul at midnight. A man of Macedonia was standing, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Which is this big region over here. So they're going to leave Troas. They're going to take a boat and they're going to go over there. And it says, and when Paul has seen the vision, immediately concluded that we should go on to Macedonia, concluding that the gospel had called us to, sorry, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they're, they're going to head over there, and they're going to land really in the main city of Philippi, and that's where, when they plant that church, which is the rest of, we're going to get to 11, we're, we're going to see the core team that they develop, and, and in Philippi, uh, but that's coming to another week. But I think it's helpful sometimes to kind of see and understand in a map how this is working out. So that's, that's the first uh, 10 verses that we're going to look at where God calls them to preach the gospel. Now, um, we're going to go back and I want you to see a few things. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that you might have seen if you've been uh, walking with us through the book of Acts. You're like, that seems peculiar. What's going on there? And so let, let's talk about those things. So uh, first off, uh, the Go ahead and put up the title. The, what we're going to look at are some, pr- I, I tried to alliterate as much as possible since I've got some Baptist blood in me. So prudent missiological practices for church planning. Oh, I didn't put prudent there. There it is. Yeah, I did. Prudent missiological practices for church planning. And this just means these are good ideas to do whenever you're going to plan a church. So these are good ideas for you whenever you're going to live on mission, which as a believer you should be. Whenever you're going to be a believer living out the Great Commission, these are, these are smart biblical good things to incorporate in your everyday life and when you do these the lord should um the lord should see some you should see some fruit in your life from the lord so first thing is this number one have a clear call from god that's what's happening in 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 church planning and that's what's happening with paul we know that he has a clear call from god in acts chapter 9 which you if you remember when paul was going to go kill christians jesus blinds him on the road to Damascus and says, you don't get to kill Christians anymore. You're going to make Christians now. And I've got a clear call on what you're going to do for me. You're going to be following me. And we also see the clear call for Paul to go preach the gospel in Acts 13 where the Holy Spirit was with them and they sent them out. And even again in 16b, we see the clear call where it says... uh, and a vision appeared to Paul in, at night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, say, come over to Macedonia and help us. This is from the Lord. I mean, commentators are going crazy. Some people are saying this was Alexander the Great saying, like, come over here and make, make us great here. Some people were saying it was Luke, the writer, like, hey, come over here. Anyway, so we don't know. We actually don't know. But what we do know is there's a clear call from God to Paul to plant. And so uh, if that's the case, 
uh, we know that we also have a clear call. Just to be clear, I want to make sure we all understand this. You have, this isn't one of those times where you say, I just don't feel called. You have a clear call from God. You don't have to say, or I just don't feel called to this. This is not a place, this is not an instance where you get to say, I don't feel, I don't feel called to that. Because that's really irrelevant whether you feel called to make disciples. Because God's word tells us that we have to make disciples. So there may be times where you can say when the church is asking you to do something, uh, I don't feel called to that. Uh, I, I might question those, a lot of those. But uh, y- there might be some times where you can say, I don't feel called. But you can't say that you don't feel called to make disciples. Because the Lord is in his word explicitly told us to go make disciples in Matthew 28. So we must have a clear call. And I want to make sure you hear this. So just as someone should have a clear call as they're going to go plant a church, uh, you may not be planning a church, but definitely have a clear call to live on mission. God has called you to live on mission. God has called you to make disciples. I'll read this to you. I know that most of you know this text, and you probably uh, heard me read it so many times, you've got it memorized. But I want to, just to be sure, let you hear the explicit call of God on every single Christian's lives to make disciples. The very last thing he tells us in the book of Matthew He looks at his disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he looks at them and and this verb, even though it says go, it's translated go, it's, it's, it's more like as you're going. Therefore, as you're going throughout life, whether you're a college student, whether you're a middle school student, whether you're an adult uh, that's in their uh, retirement age, or whether you're living life in, in, in crazy life whenever you have young kids and you don't ever have time to even sneeze, like Whatever's going on in your life, as you're going through that, make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. This is all the ethnic groups. Everybody that you come into contact, make disciples. How will we do that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. The two ways we're going to do that is, is by baptizing and teaching. But the clear call is that we're to make disciples. And then he gives us this amazing promise because everyone hears that and we're like, I'm gonna, I stink at it right now. I'll always stink at it. I always feel like I'm failing. He tells us this awesome promise as he's finishing. I am with you always to the end of the age. So all along while it's happening, this clear call he's given you, don't ever forget that Jesus is with you. Jesus is going before you. We'll see as we get to Lydia that God's the one that's going to open Lydia's heart next week and, and help her understand. So when people trust Christ, God is doing the work. That's, that's a good news piece of information whenever it's, I, I feel the pressure of having to make disciples to know that the Lord is with me. The Lord is already working in people's hearts before I share the gospel. The Lord is saving them. But we have a clear call. We have a clear call. So let's live out that call. Let's not abandon that call. Let's not forget that call. Let's not act like that call doesn't exist. Every single one of us, every single one of us has a clear call to make disciples. First practice. Number two, get the right team. Get the right team. That's what he's going to do. So let's look at this team. Number one, and you can see these, how Paul does it. In verse 40, Paul chose Silas. You can see it in verse 3 of 16. Paul wanted Timothy. So first... He, uh, he had a disagreement with Barnabas, and so there needs to be a Barnabas replacement. <laughs> so he picks Silas. This is someone for him. When I say get the right team, I want to make sure we're understanding how Paul is doing this. Number one, he picks a contemporary. He picks someone of the same kind of close to walk as him. Just like Barnabas, he picks Silas. Silas, we know, is a, a really solid guy. 
Whenever they had gone to Jerusalem to get that letter and they came back to Antioch and start sharing it, whenever uh, Silas came <clears throat> with him back to Antioch to share the letter, it says that Silas uh, was there. And you can see this in chapter 15, verse 32. And Judas and Silas were there themselves prophets. They encouraged and strengthened all the believers with many words. So they walk into a city that they don't know people and immediately, because they're mature in Christ, they're encouraging the church there. They're, they're helping them grow. They're helping them understand things. So Silas was a mature Christian, probably in the same kind of walk as Paul. So when he's assembling his team, he picks someone that's like him, that's as mature as him. He picks a Silas. A replacement for Barnabas. Not, not that Barnabas is like this awesome replaceable, uh, replaceable guy. It's just he, he knows he's got to have somebody that can go to the same place as him and go at the same pace as him. And so he picks Silas. He also has to replace John Mark. John Mark left with Barnabas. And so he goes right here, as you can see, uh, in verse 1. And Paul went to Derby and Lystra, and there was a disciple there named Timothy. As you read the New Testament, many times Paul is going to refer to Timothy as his child in the faith. So he gets his John Mark. And he gets a Timothy, someone who's not like Silas that's running the same place and maybe going the same pace as him and is, and is strong in the faith as him. But he gets Timothy. This is someone that he can mentor. Someone that is going to benefit having spent time with Paul to grow in their faith. Um, someone that on an ongoing basis will be greatly benefited by learning and growing as he is hanging around with Paul. So, I mean... This is church planning and you need a team, but let's just be real. I mean, you are making disciples and you're not supposed to be Lone Ranger make disciples. You need a team. You have to have a team. So who, who's your team? Who are the people that you're walking with that are the same place and pace as you, that can hold you accountable, that can look into your life, that you have permission, given permission to look into your life and, and know what's going on in your heart, that are, that are helping you make disciples, but also who's someone that's that would benefit from you mentoring them. Someone who's uh, not, as ex- not as maybe experienced or uh, been in the faith as long. Who's your Timothy? Who's your Silas and who's your Timothy? Who are the people that would be uh, greatly benefited by you? Uh, every once in a while, we're part of the Acts 29 network, which just means we want to be a part of church planning. And every once in a while uh, throughout the year, I'm part of assessment conferences. They do it right up here in Gastonia, so I, I can just drive up there and drive back home. I can get there in 30 minutes. And so uh, they, they have guys from all over the southeast that want to plant a church. They come up there. It's anywhere between 6 up to 15 couples. They'll come in for two days, and me and, and a bunch of other X-29 church planners will meet with these guys, and we'll, we'll hang out with them over the course of about three days, get to know them, etc. And so while we're doing these assessments... Um, uh, it's always good for me because, you, you know, you get the packet of information about them and then you meet them face-to-face and you talk about what's going on in their life. You talk about all kinds of stuff about the church plant. And as a church planner, hanging around guys that are being assessed for church planting, actually, uh, I get probably more benefit than maybe they do. I think about all the things that we're assessing them on that, they need, that we're going to tell them, hey, you need to grow in these things. And I look at myself and I'm like, I need to grow in these things. So um, as I was doing that this week, I was just reminded... How important it is for me, because we're, we're talking about this guy who doesn't have really people around him that can look into his life and people that he's really uh, kind of like a Timothy that he's leading. He's just kind of out there doing himself. And as I was looking at that, I was thinking about myself and thinking, wow, I have places that I also need to improve. And the Lord sovereignly put this text as I'm looking at it. And so um, while I, 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 I think that uh, 
Joe and Jack are doing an excellent job as my Silas's, right? Praise the Lord, he's brought them. I'm looking at my own life in regard to a Timothy, and I just think, I'm not doing so great in that. And so, even before all of you, like, I, I have failed in this, and I think that I need to improve in this, and I want you to, to be asking me about this. I want to, in all things that I ask you to do, I want to do these things well. And so, while I should say, hey, you need a Timothy, hey, Fudd, you need a Timothy. And so, I, I ask your forgiveness for that, and I want to do better. We do have someone that wants to church plant, and so I'm, I'm excited about spending more time with him to grow, but I want more. And so, uh, I want you to know, my heart is that everything I, I, I want you, and I think that the Lord tells you to do from his word, I want to do those things as well. And when I'm failing, I want you to know that, because... The last thing you need is, is, is a preacher who acts like he has it all together, or a pastor who thinks he has it all together. I don't have it all together. I, I, I'm failing just like you in a bunch of places, and that's why I need Jesus probably more than you, but just definitely just like you. So uh, we'll get to that. I'm coming up to the gospel. I can't wait to get to that. Um, not that, like, you don't, I shouldn't do it now. I should. Anyway, uh, the last thing is this. As we're looking at a team, you've got to have a Silas you got to have a Timothy. But there's one thing I also want you to see. Maybe you didn't notice this as we read verses 1 through 10. Is there's a pronoun shift. Watch. Um, we'll just start at verse 6. Uh, the pronoun shift, it, if, you, if you know anything about grammar, it's starting from uh, third person plural. And it's going to shift to uh, first person plural. It means whoever's writing this joins them. Luke's writing this. Watch this. So... Verse 6, and they, talking about what they were doing, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia have been speaking, uh, and had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to, to go up to Asia. And when they had attempted to go into Mysia, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a, a vision appeared to Paul into the night. A man of Macedonia was standing, come, urging him, say, come help uh, over to Macedonia and help us. And watch this, here it is. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately, watch that. We sought to go into Macedonia, including that God had called us to preach the gospel. And as you go through the narrative, Luke has joined Paul. It, we don't know how. Maybe that's why people say it was Luke saying he was the man like, come over to Macedonia and I'm going to join you. We don't know how it was. Um, we don't know what it was. I, I read some commentators that said they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit in verse 6 because they had an affirmity and then they asked Luke to join them and he fixed the affirmity and now, he, now he's with them and now they're going. We don't know. But my whole point is uh, not only as he's picking a team does he have Silas not only does he have uh, Timothy, he has Luke now. Luke's part of this. Why is that important? I've noticed in church planting um, <clears throat> that if you are, and it just depends on the way you're wired, and I want you to apply this to your community group. I want you to apply this to your marriage. I want you to apply this to the way that you make disciples. If you are one of the kind of big picture people, like this is what we ought to do, you need to have someone that actually knows how to make that happen, like a details person that says, that, that sounds great. How are we going to do that? Or if you're a details person, you need to have somebody that's a big picture person like, hey, let's make a big plan. Paul is the big picture plan. Luke's a doctor. Luke's a details guy. And so uh, this shift means Luke is joining as the minister of GJD, get junk done. Like he's the one that knows how to get stuff done. And so Paul's this big picture. But if you, if, if you have these big plans and you don't have a details person, you're in trouble. And Luke's a details guy, and I think that he's probably a great asset to this particular team because he knows, he thinks in details, he thinks about execution, he thinks about how to get stuff done, and he's likely an, a tremendous asset for Paul as he's going in. So get the right team. So 
for you. Know which one you are. It's not a sin to be either one. It's not, not a sin to be either one. God's wired you a certain way. You're a big picture person or you're a details person. You may have a blend and that's awesome. But which one are you? And <clears throat> if you're not married, marry the opposite. That would be great for life. <laughs> really great for life. Uh, marry the opposite. But also uh, in your community group, be thinking about in your community group. Who's the visionary and who's the details? Because if we're all head in the clouds and no one's actually putting these things on, on, on the ground, and we need, to, we need to find out, like, who is that and get them in here and help us know how to... That's a great idea. What are the steps to do that so that we can be obedient to this? So get a team. Get a team. Know who you are. Know which one you are and find the complement in your, in your team and balance your community out and do it. Um, every mission, every visionary like Paul needs to make disciples with their team. So who's your team? Know your team. Get on the team. That's, that's number two. Paul has Silas. Paul has Timothy. And Paul even has Luke. The next one is this. Number three. Uh, if you're going to plant churches, you're going to make disciples. Know your culture and remove hindrances for gospel advantage, advancement. Know your culture, and remove hindrances for gospel advancement. When I say culture, I mean the culture of the people you're trying to reach. Who are the people that you're trying to reach? Are they older brothers or are they younger brothers? Are they legalists at heart? Are they licentious and crazy, crazy sinners? Like, who are they? And, and which way can you help them understand and apply the gospel? Or are they somewhere in between? Are they neither one? Know your culture. Uh, the reason why I say this is because you may have seen this and you may be like thinking, Paul, are you a hypocrite? You just got through like demanding at the Jerusalem council that you should not have to circumcise anybody. And then you pull Timothy, a grown man, into your, into your group. And it says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews. Now, first, that's an awkward conversation. That's just, Timothy, I want you to join me. Yes. All right. You got to be circumcised. No. <laughs> like you can just, I don't know how that happened. I, 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 have, I, I was talking with Jordan this week about it, and I just told Jordan the, the vast number of questions I have about that, and most of them I'm not allowed to say out loud. So um, anyway, I'm sorry. I'm getting sidetracked. But my whole, here's my point. This, you can hear this and you can think, all right, um, Paul, wait a second. You just demanded in Gala- the entire book of Galatians and and. Acts chapter 15, that everyone understand that circumcision is not necessary for salvation. Why are you making Timothy do this? Because he's knowing his culture. He's knowing his culture. Let me help you understand. John Stott has a great insight into this. Uh, This is not a gospel issue for Timothy. For Timothy. Unlike the Judaizers who made it necessary for salvation... For Timothy, this was not necessary for his salvation. This was necessary for him to be a good missionary in his culture. John Stott says this. What was necessary for acceptance with God was advisable for acceptance by some human. What was unnecessary, sorry, for acceptance with God. You do not have to be circumcised to be right with God. Was, was actually advisable for acceptance by some human beings. Because Timothy was going to be a, a missionary with Paul to Gentiles, but also to Jews. And so since he was going to be a missionary to Jews, his culture would look at that and say, how can you be a follower of God? And so since he knew that he was, he was called to a certain culture of a certain people that had a certain kind of outlook on the way that th- they think, think things ought to be, Paul had Timothy circumcised so that he would be a better missionary. 
know that he, so that he could be a better missionary. So remove those hindrances for the purpose of gospel advancement. Now, praise the Lord, we're not going to have to deal with that for gospel advancement in Rock Hill. But you still need to know. Know your culture. What are the things that are, who are you trying to reach? And what are the things whenever you're trying to reach those people, if there's hindrances for that gospel advancement that you can just remove in your life? There's no reason to have this in my life so that it hinders the furtherance of the gospel. We can use the obvious ones like drinking in public, blah, blah, blah. But going to speak in certain ways, having whatever. I mean, we, can, we can throw those out there. But I, 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 I hesitate to give these examples because I think that you'll just start saying, well, that's not me and I don't have to do it. I want you to, I want you to think broadly about what it might be. You need to know your culture. Let, let's ask about it this way. Knowing your culture. What are the idols of the unbelievers in your world? What are the idols of the unbelievers in your world, in your neighborhood, the people that, that don't know Christ that you're hanging out? What are those I- idols, and how can you address that with the gospel? What's the culture of the people on your road in your neighborhood? What's their culture? Are they from here? Are they not from here? What do they believe? Do they, do they, are they cultural Christians? Are they atheists? Are they from the south? Are they from the north? Are they from another country? Know the culture. What are, this is even, I think, more pointed, what are the functional saviors of your people that you know, that don't know Christ? The functional saviors. If you want to know what that means, a functional savior is a substitute for Jesus. What is it that they are substituting if, for Jesus? A better way to think about it is, if they answer this question, once I get fill in the blank, I'll finally be happy. And if it's not Jesus, that's their functional savior. What is it that they think they have to have? And once they have that, they'll finally be happy. Um, so I have this, this Starbucks cup here, and this is one of my favorite things in the world. Not that it's Starbucks coffee, because you're already uh, not following. Here's why. Um, my wife is, is a stay-at-home uh, mom, and she also homeschools, and she gets these science uh, movies of this guy. I don't know his, I can't remember his name, but he's hilarious, and he's awesome, and he has these tricks that you can do. And I, I saw one on the video, and I literally keep this in my cup holder, in my car at all times, and my kids beg me, Dad, do it now. Dad, do it now. Dad, do it now. So this is not a cup of coffee. I got it, and what I do is I have a really huge, super huge strong magnet in my cup, and I keep it in here. And at any point when I'm dropping off kids, I can act like I have a cup of coffee. I can sit it on my hood, and I get the kids into the car, and then I get in my car, and I start driving off, and everybody thinks I'm leaving a cup of coffee on my car. And I can play it off. And they like, people are like, hey, 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 hey. And I'm like, oh, hey, hey. And I'm just going, they're like, no, no, no. Oh, there. I'm like, yeah, the Lord, yeah. And they're like, what? No, no, you've got coffee on your car. And I'm like, oh, hey, hey. And they, they run up there, hey, you've got coffee. And I'm like, I get down, I'm like, oh, thank you, thank you. And I put it in. My kids love it when I do this, right? My kids absolutely love it. My wife, on their hand, does not love it when I do this. And that's why it's in my car, not hers. And she doesn't want to be present when I'm doing it. Um, but, I, I literally do it all the time. It's hilarious. I encourage every one of you to do it um, because it's so daggum funny. But here's the point. Here's the whole point, right? When we're talking about functional saviors, something that looks so promising and so real is very disingenuous. I mean, Starbucks coffee, this looks like the real deal, right? However, it's very disingenuous. It's drawing people in with false pretenses. This is what a functional savior does. It draws you in. Something that looks so good on the outside, so legitimate, however, on the inside, a functional savior's promises are as empty as this coffee cup. They're as empty as this coffee cup. They will promise you everything and deliver on nothing. And so your culture, your culture, 
What are their functional saviors that are promising them the world, but they're completely empty? They're completely empty. They're as fake as can be. Disingenuous as me when I'm playing that trick on people. Not that's, yeah. (laughs) That's what a functional savior does. It makes empty promises. It makes empty promises. It seems real. It seems real, but it's as disingenuous and functional saviors make rotten saviors, terrible saviors. There's only one savior, only one true savior, and it's Jesus. He's the only one, the only one that can, that can fill you. He's the only one that keeps his promises. So don't, whatever the blank, it, maybe you deal with this, not just your neighbor, but you deal with this. If I only had that then I'll finally be happy. If I could only finally get married, then I'll finally be happy. If I could only finally just have our child, then I'll finally be happy. If I only finally just have that job, then I'll finally be happy. All these things are functional saviors. And only Jesus is your real savior. Those things are not going to fulfill their promises that you think they're making. So, know your culture and remove all the hindrances for the gospel. Know those functional saviors. Know those things like even... uh, for first century circumcision, for us, whatever it fill in the blank might be. Remove those things for the purpose of gospel advancement. Because you as a believer have been called into gospel advancement. That's our jobs now, to advance the gospel. Now, next, number four, follow the Holy Spirit's leading. This is so huge. Follow the Holy Spirit's leading over your best laid plans. Make sure you see this. Verse 6, Paul had plans. I mean, Paul is a type A, get it done. If you're in my way, I'm mowing you over kind of guy. I've got plans. I'm going to Damascus to kill Christians. And it took Jesus blinding him saying, no, you can't. And here, same thing. I am going to. But he yields himself. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. He wanted to go to Asia. He wanted to go northeast. No. The Holy Spirit stops him. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And instead of insisting on their own way, they yield themselves to the Holy Spirit. Why? Paul gets the answer in verse 9. Where he goes to bed and he has this vision. And somebody's like, we need for you to go west. Come over to Macedonia. Which is now how the gospel got planted in Europe. Because of Paul's obedience here. So, follow the Holy Spirit's leading over your best laid plans. You are to yield yourself to the guiding hand of the Holy Spirit completely. G. Campbell Morgan says this, It's better to go to Troas with God than anywhere else without him. I don't know, what, like whatever it is that you don't think you want to go to, that scares you. If that's where the Lord's leading you, it's better to go there than anywhere else. The safest place... Is in the center of the Lord's will? Not necessarily the safest, right? But the best place is the center of the Lord's will. Yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. Make plans. I'm not saying don't make plans. That's good. Make plans. But as the Holy Spirit is, is revealing himself to how he wants you to move, to make disciples, to, to reach that neighbor, to go across the street, etc., yield yourself to him. So where are you pushing further in God's mission? And where is it that God's leading in God's mission? Are they the same or not? Follow the Holy Spirit. 
Are you submitting to the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus, as he, Paul uses, Luke uses those synonymously in the, following, uh, and, and making disciples? Are you submitting yourself to the way Jesus is wanting you to make disciples? Or are you running? Or are you running your, making your own plans and not letting the Holy Spirit lead? Are you praying for the Holy Spirit's leading? Are you praying for the Holy Spirit's leading? God, guide me. Don't just let me make my plans. Do you believe, this may be the best question, do you believe that his will is better than yours? Do you believe that his will is better than yours? That's the, then if you do, you're going to follow his. So follow the Holy Spirit's leading. The last one is this. Preach the gospel. Uh, This is so obvious, I shouldn't have to say it. But I'm going to. Preach the gospel. You see, uh, at the very end of verse 10, when Paul seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding. That concluding, by the way, um, I can't remember the Greek word. I should have written it down. But the concluding is, is a, uh, a coming together of Paul and Silas and Luke. And maybe there were some other people. And they all had a discussion. And they all discussed it out. And they all decided this is the best word. This wasn't just like, hey, I, got, I know what we're doing. And Paul just tells them. The, 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 the word carries that they had a good conversation. That everybody contributed. And that everybody collectively decided, we believe that Paul's heard from God. We're all going to yes do that. And it says this, concluding that God, here it is, called us to preach the gospel to them. So, uh, church planting, your missiological endeavors are not, are, they're not just good works. They are good works, but they're not just good works. They're preaching the gospel. You have to talk about Jesus explicitly, especially in the 21st century. Especially in the 21st century. There's way too many people that just do good things. We have to explicitly talk about Jesus. As I mentioned, um, I was at this assessment conference uh, with Perspective Acts 29 pastors. My job, one of my jobs, I should say, in that is to lead the preaching time. They literally have to come in a group of like... 20 people in a circle and preach a 20-minute sermon. I don't know, it sounds so awkward, doesn't it? And we sit there as assessors trying to hear the sermon to bless our hearts, but also like writing down critiques to tell them after 20 minutes. It's, it's definitely uh, for them an, an awkward uh, place. But one of, our, one of our assessors, he would say that he's not a good preacher. I think he's actually a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good communicator. But he, he says this every time, and I love it. I mean, he, has this, he tells everybody <laughs> the exact same thing every single time. He says basically this, when you're preaching, I need for you to get me to Jesus, get me to Jesus fast, and I want you to tell me the gospel. Don't tell me the implications of the gospel. Just tell me what Jesus has done for me. I need for you to do that. I need for you to do it fast or else I'm out. I can't follow anymore. Like, so it's like, okay, Stephen, we got it. You say the same thing every time. Um, but in, in a way... That's very helpful. We need to preach the gospel. We need to tell people that as you're, as you're, those that are in ministry, you need to hear this, that you're not just a soldier doing ministry, but first and foremost, you're already a son or a daughter. God doesn't look at you as a, as a foot soldier to do his work primarily. He looks at you first and foremost as a son and daughter that he willingly chose to lavish his grace on and save and then send you out on mission. If we think we're just a soldier before we're a son or daughter, then we think that all God wants me to do is serve him. That's all he needs. He needs me to get stuff done rather than dwell and be with him. And so we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. And whenever we're on mission, we need to preach the gospel to other people. So I thought, 
I want to do that explicitly here. And I thought, where, where better to go than the book of Philippians? There's, there's about a billion ways you can preach the gospel. And I could go to any book, but I thought, this is Church Plant Philippi. Why don't we go to Philippians and see the gospel as Paul wrote it to the Philippian church? So uh, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul explicitly tells us gospel. Chapter 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And here where we get, this is where it gets explicit gospel. If you want to know what gospel is, gospel is what has Jesus done for us? Not implications are, now you receive grace, now you're, now you're forgiven, now you're seen sanctified. Those are implications. It's what has Jesus done explicitly. Here it is, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Here it is. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born and the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the gospel, that Christ would not hold on to all the attributes of deity and cling to them in heaven and say, I'm staying here to receive the glory forever. But he emptied himself, letting go of those things by coming and taking the form of now, not just God, but man, the God-man, and going all the way to the cross, all the way, so that we could be forgiven of our sins. That's what he has done for us. So explicitly, in in his humility, he's now provided us his humility that Paul tells us to have. Because he was humble and has saved us, we now can be humble because of the gospel. Because he died on the cross for us and not us, He has now emptied himself and now our sin of pride has been emptied on him and he took it all. He became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5. So because he took the form of a servant, we are now forgiven. We are forgiven and we don't have to be selfish as it says. We don't have to be conceited anymore. But now we can be a servant of men because he became the servant of men and died for us. We can be humble now because he took the form of absolute humility dying on the cross taking our vast huge massive bucket of sin of pride on himself and now he has exchanged our pride and given us humility now we could talk about the gospel in a billion different ways but this is one the pride that every single one of us carry around Jesus exchanged and took all of that pride onto himself and on the cross gave us the humility of Christ. He forgave all of our sin on the cross. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what we must get to whenever we are doing mission. This is what we must tell people. Whatever background they have, know the best way to communicate, contextualize, if you will, the gospel. I said, if you will, the gospel. Um, and, And help them understand the good news of Jesus in their context. So, because we've heard this, because we've, uh, as believers in Christ, received this good news, we 
celebrate this good news for ourselves at the table. So we want to conclude this way. I want to conclude us all when we're thinking about church planning or you're thinking about living out community in your community group or living out the mission of God uh, as, a, as a Christian. First, know that you're called. You're absolutely called to the mission. Number two, assemble a team. Who's your team? Could be your family, could be your neighbors, could be your roommates, could be your community group. Have a team. Have a balanced team. Think about who that is. Uh, have people that are equal with you and walking at your pace and have people that you can, you can mentor and bring up. Know the culture of the people around you. Know your road, know your dorm, know your family, whatever. And what are their idols? What are their functional saviors? And know how the gospel can be contextualized to them. And when you do that, preach the gospel to them. Preach the gospel to yourself and hear and remind yourself of what the Lord has done and preach the gospel to them continually. Yes, absolutely do good things for them. We have to do that, but preach the gospel to them. And we will now celebrate what Jesus has done for us at the table and preach the gospel to ourselves through the taking of the elements. So if you're a believer in Christ, this time is for you. If you're a believer in Jesus, this is where you come forward, you take the bread, you take the cup, you come back to your chair. Uh, if, you, if you need a few minutes to, before you come up to think and pray and just reflect on this amazing gospel, what Christ has done, take that. And when you're ready, come forward, take the elements and bring him back to, the, to your chair. I will lead us together. And as we do that, we will proclaim this good news to ourselves. If you are not a believer in Christ, all I want you to do is this. I want you to observe what we're doing. This is, this is a time for Christians, but certainly a time where believers can benefit by watching the Lord's Supper be taken. This is an ongoing ordinance that all Christians practice uh, as believers in Christ, where we take the bread, reminding us of the broken body of Jesus. We take the cup, reminding us of the blood shed, uh, Jesus' blood shed for forgiveness of our sins. And then we celebrate at the table, and we celebrate in worship. So I'm going to pray, and uh, as you're ready, Jordan's going to lead us in a song. Come forward when you're ready and get both. You can certainly stand and sing if you want. I'll come back up and I'll lead us all as we, as we take the elements together. Let's pray. Jesus, you're so good. You're so kind to us. You're amazing. And I pray, Lord, as we uh, continue in worship, even at the table, that as we remember and proclaim this amazing gospel to ourselves, that the good news of Jesus would permeate our hearts and souls and that our hearts would be set aflame, our affections would be set aflame and that as we go into the table, we will, our hearts will leap for joy. As we go into worship after that, our hearts will leap for joy and as we walk out of this room for another week to be on mission, our hearts will leap for joy for what Christ has done. I pray that all of us, as we look at the way we live out our life on mission, Lord, if there's places that we can improve, that we would see that you are the one that does that to us and in us and through us and that you would do your mighty work through us so that the nations could be reached. We pray this in Jesus' name.